1: movies and stuff we watch now are are pretty much based around this same way of telling a story so you know batman and the flash and all these guys are just parts of the hero's journey so in this story anyway odysseus is um the king of island ithaca and he has to go away and fight at the trojan war Um, and so he goes away and, and he's really successful and then he he goes on this journey to get back to his home and along this along the way in the journey he comes across all these different obstacles and problems in the way so it takes him 20 years to get back and then he gets back a hero he's made at the top he's back at his home king he sees his wife and his son he talks about how he sees his little dog it's a really touching moment and would kind of think well that's going to be the end of the story you know everything's good but then he um, gets this prophecy that says you've got to go on a second journey and I realized you know, it's, it's a Greek myth, so it's not a Christian thing, but, you know, God can use that, that stuff as well. God can use anything. And, and I was thinking about, you know, the fathers of, of our faith, like Abraham and, and Sarah. They were settled. They had everything. But God called them to go out of their comfort zone to go somewhere else. And, you know, the disciples, God called them to leave their nets, to leave what they knew, uh, knew and go somewhere else. And I feel like, you know, that's our hero's journey as well. We've all got these comforts that we live in you've got this comfortable place we live in but god's calling us to leave that and to follow him afresh to follow him you know, uh, not attached to all these comforts that we have so it's this great part near the end of the odyssey where um odysseus is walking along and he's carrying an oar because he was in a boat for 20 years so the oar is kind of meant to symbolize his occupation being in a boat meant to symbolize his identity and the prophecy says to him, your journey is going to be over when you're walking along carrying your oar and someone mistakes it for the threshing fan or the threshing fork. And that's when you know that your, your journey is over. And I was thinking about how John the Baptist you know, used the same imagery. He talked about the threshing fan or the threshing fork. Um, you know, and talking about Jesus would bring that. And in his imagery, the threshing fan is used to Separate the the wheat from the chaff you know, the good stuff from the bad stuff and um, And so I felt like Jesus saying this morning that what's going to be the end of You know when we know that we're getting to the end of our journey that we're getting to maturity and where God wants us to be Is that we'll be able to know how to distinguish what's valuable and what's not valuable? You know what are those things that are real and what are the things that are counterfeit in our lives? What are the things that are eternal and what are the things that are fleeting? What are the things that are essential? And what are the things that we need to cut out of our lives? So I just really feel like that's a work that God wants to do this morning. Is just start identifying in our lives those things that are not essential. Those things that are our comforts that maybe we've always lived with. It's like that saying, it's just who I am. You know, but God's not really happy with us saying it's just who I am. It's not who He's made us to be. So I just want to just declare that over you this morning, before we get started, that I feel like that's a, a work that God wants to do this morning, is just to cut out those things that are keeping us from where He really wants us to be in our journey. So, I just wanted to um, start this morning with a little story, just a flashback. Uh, when I was in grade four or five, around that stage, we had a, um, a class uh, talent quest, and so what I was going to do is I plan to do this magic show. So I started off with um, one of my favorites. Actually, I'll show you. I've got to take my jacket off for this. So, so I had a coin and I, did, I was going to do the um, you know, rubbing into my arm one. So I got up the front of the class and did, you know, here's my coin, rub it into my arm. Like this, I said. See, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the res- that's the response I got as well. Like I remember, there's a red guy in the class, Greg Sutton, and he said, pointed at me, said, "I can see it in your hand." I said, "Okay, good point. Let me let me do it again." So I did it again. <laughs> I said, "There you go, Sato, Can you see it in my hand this time? It's not there." Um, he actually, that guy, uh, I still keep in touch with him. He um then went on to work in like insurance fraud, kind of picking out when people <laughs> would tell lines line stuff. So I'd like to think that I kind of played a bit of a role in him, being able to, yeah, able to uh, identify what's real and not. Anyway, so I didn't have the, great, the best start to this talent quest, but then I did a few card tricks and I was kind of getting the, um, the crowd back on side and it got to my big finale. And so this was my big finale. I had this uh, cloth, not this one, but I had a cloth I my hand like that and I said, alright, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna say a few magic words. I don't remember what they were. I'm gonna say a few magic words. I'm gonna pull the cloth back and I make a chicken appear in my hand. So pretty exciting for a uh, grade, you know, four or five magic tricks. So I did it, you know, abracadabra, that kind of stuff. Pulled it back. <laughs> oh, oops, it's not hatched yet. So that was my that was my big uh big finale. <laughs> and um they were loving it, the crowd was loving it, um, and I was too, eight year old me was like ecstatic, oh this is great. So what I did, I got a bit uh, carried away though with all the adulation, and oh you're an amazing magician, stuff. yeah, oh, but um, I got a bit too confident, and I said to the teacher, while I'm on a roll, can I just um, do a song I wrote as well? So a couple of weeks before, in music we had to like write these little songs, and I wrote this song about a fish that I owned at the time like a little goldfish there's four lines i only remember three though so the, the lines were like this it said when fish are scaly but nice and cute they swim around all day there's another line i couldn't remember then it finished with i love to watch them play uh so there's a keyboard there because somebody else that, that knew how to play the keyboard was doing you know some piano stuff as part of this talent quest so i said to the teacher can i do my song my original song she said yeah okay so I got behind the keyboard. The problem was, I didn't know how to play the keyboard at all. But being an eight-year-old boy, the song that I was obsessed with at the time was Eye of the Tiger. So I thought, I'll do, dun, 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 dun. So I was kind of playing the keyboard. I thought, I'll, I'll put my song to that. Fish are scaly, but nice and cute. They <laughs> swim around all day. I love to watch them play. So. That was, so clearly though, in all the adrenaline, the confidence that I had, I was in a situation I wasn't prepared for. I wanted to do something, um, but I just wasn't prepared for it. What I want to look at this morning is uh, a situation where uh, Jesus, would dis- Jesus' disciples were put in yeah, that situation, something I weren't prepared for. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 9 let to start at verse one. And uh, hopefully it'll come up on the screen for you as well. So it says When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread. No money, no extra shirt. So, the first point is here Jesus freely gives them authority over all devils. There's nothing that's not given as under their authority. So, no matter how numerous or how fierce or how strong or how addictive or how subtle or how familiar or how deceptive these devils might be, they're all given under Jesus' authority. He designed a total route of the kingdom of darkness. It's a no exceptions policy. In fact, he, he commanded them to go out and take authority over all these devils. And it's just this kind of thing for us though, we often think, ah, oh, you know, my devil's different. You know, my devil is is so embedded in my life now, it's, it's just part of who I am. It's too addictive. Or we think, you know, my devil's too strong. This is just something I'm going to have to live with, something I'm going to have to put up with. It's been there for 30 years. It's just part of, of my life. Or we think... It's just maybe it just feels too familiar you know we think it's uh i don't really need to change that thing in my life do i everyone else does it don't they but you know that feeling in your in your stomach in your heart is convicting you that you do need to yes but jesus is saying this is a no exceptions policy all devils you're given authority over all devils there's no sickness too strong no thing too familiar too long standing that shouldn't be overcome but then he gives One other instruction, and that are the instructions from verse 3. So he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Take nothing. And as humans, we're always trying to prepare, we're always trying to predict what's going to happen and get ready for what's going to happen in the future. But here, Jesus says, go out unprepared, don't prepare. So when Sasha and I first started dating, I'd organized this date for us. We're gonna go on a bushwalk. Um, so I got there uh, in my, all, you know, all my stuff ready. I had my hiking boots on, had my shorts on, I had my Legionnaires cap on. I don't know why you'd wear that to a date, but I was prepared for a bushwalk. Sasha gets to the, the car park, at the start of the bushwalk, gets out, and she's wearing what she normally wears. She's wearing high heeled shoes. So she gets out and I thought, okay, it's interesting. She's probably got something to change into. She didn't. Um, So we started the bushwalk and it went okay for about 200 metres until we got to a bit of a steep incline. And we turned around and that was the end of the date. I did get another one, but that was the end of that particular date. So she she wasn't prepared at all. Actually, when I uh, was in university, in the summer holidays, I'd go away and and do a lot of work to raise some money to go back to university with. And I had a mate that I went to university with called Scotty. And what we used to do is we would drive around um, the countryside in New South Wales and work on different farms doing fruit picking and that kind of stuff. And I'd often stay in caravans. But being summertime, often the caravans were full in these caravan parks, so I would need to camp. Um, Scotty was very prepared. He'd always bring his tent and all his stuff... Yeah, his up mattress, everything. So if we didn't get a caravan, he was ready to go. We were different like that. I wasn't prepared at all. I thought there'll be caravans. So I remember one particular summer we went there, got to our first caravan park, and it was full. I said, "That's okay, Scotty. You've got a two-man tent. Yeah, space for two of us. We'll just both sleep in yours." He looked at me and said, "No, no, that's..." That's my side, and then that's the side for my bag and my stuff. (laughs) I said, well, what am I meant to do? Oh, you sleep with what you brought. So I spent about three weeks sleeping on the ground. I didn't have a a mattress or anything. I had a sleeping bag. I don't think I had a pillow. Sleeping next to this highway, under this tree, that was the home to this family of possums that were very busy making a bigger family of possums every night. That That was my existence for a few days. Or for a few weeks, because I yeah, wasn't prepared, but here, Jesus is calling us to follow Him you know, in a similar way, to, be, you know, to follow Him without all the preparation that we think we need. You know And definitely, it's going to lead to some discomfort. It's definitely going to lead to some fear, but it's also the growth, the, the path to growth and maturity and increased power. In God. There's something about this experience of being unprepared that God wants you there to grow you, to bring you to maturity. Because when you've got nothing, you know, then you're forced to look to Him for your provision and to, to look to Him for your strength. You know, And so that's what the disciples would have been feeling. They would have been feeling discomfort, fear. They would have been feeling they're not prepared. But in reality, that's the feeling that we all should be feeling at times. That's a feeling that Comes with authentic Christianity that Jesus gave us, but we've defined, you know, redefined Christianity to fit into all our particular comforts, to fit into the way that we want it to go. I remember when I first started um, teaching, when I was studying teaching, you have to go out and do these prac uh, experiences, where they put you into school and you so you have to teach classes just to to see that you can do that kind of thing. And I wanted to so control the environment. My first classes were like this, I'd I'd, um, spent nights writing up this kind of script I was going to say to the class and this flowchart of, if I asked them a question, like I said, how are uh, atoms arranged in gases? I'd have that question there and then I'd have coming off at this flowchart of if they said this, I'd respond with this. If they said this one, i would respond like this. Everything was so structured. And what it actually did though was, it killed the environment. There was no flow to the environment, yeah, it really hindered learning because you know, I was trying to control the environment so much. We can often be like that with our, with our walk with Jesus. We want to control everything so much that we you know, end up killing the flow of Jesus in our lives. Yeah, we're meant to be doing the impossible, but we've been sold a Christianity where we can take with us whatever comforts we want. Yeah, but God doesn't actually want us to take those things with, it, with us. He wants us to leave those things. You know our Christianity, though, is a Christianity where we think you know I need to go to church on sunday and and that church needs to provide me with you know excitement and comfort because I'm not getting that you know in my normal walk. The thing is you're meant to be getting that in your normal walk, so we think we're looking for some kind of entertainment, something to give me my comfort when I don't get that, you know I want to leave, but the thing is that creates you know, a culture of of bored Christians, of futile Christians, Christians that aren't living the exciting and unpredictable life that Jesus gave them. Yeah, there's something about true religion that it's always about letting go. It's always about stepping into the impossible, stepping into things that we can't be prepared for except by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's always about putting to death something to be able to be filled by something. I actually read an article last night about um, excess baggage fees on airlines. So you know how when you, you go on a flight, you can take on, you know, a certain amount of baggage with you, 20 kilograms. If you go over that, you've got to pay excess baggage fees. And so this article is talking about how much money people in the U.S. spend or how much money the uh, airline industry in the U.S. makes on, bagga- on excess baggage fees. Does anyone have an idea how much money U.S. Airlines made on excess baggage fees last year? Probably not. You should have researched it. But last year, <laughs> last year they made four point six billion dollars on excess baggage fees, which you know is more than the gross domestic products of sub countries. Probably, I didn't research that bit either. But the article then went on to say, when, talked about how travelers can make sure that they don't pay these excess baggage fees. So I was thinking, well, don't you pack less? You don't pay it. But apparently not. This is what the news.com article said. (laughs) You need to learn how to colour coordinate. The secret to pulling together an interesting and diverse assortment of outfits with only a small number of pieces packed into a tiny little bag is colour coordination. First, opt for mostly neutrals, Next, when you add in colour, keep your choices within the same family, such as blues and blacks or soft corals and peach tones. <laughs> Once you get the hang of this, you'll find that you can pack in such a way that all your tops coordinate with all your bottoms, yielding out, exponential outfit options. Read more about how to colour coordinate here. I didn't click on the link, but I think I have colour coordinated pretty well. Um, But what can we, what do we learn from that? I mean, I kind of learned that if I can color coordinate, I'm going to save $4.6 billion a year, apparently. (laughs) But also, even when we travel, we're so weighed down by all our stuff that it it starts costing us a ridiculous amount. But with God, the less you have, the more you're able to move. With God, the more you give up, the more you're able to move with Him. You can't, move with what God wants to do in your life when you're carrying too much weight around with you. So what are you seeing comfort in that's slowing you down from moving with God? You know, is it your, your envy, your jealousy, your resentment, your unforgiveness, your anger, those things that are sitting with you that refuse to give up and it means you can't take that next step on your journey. So we get so used to living with our, with our security blankets that often they you know, keep us from reaching our destiny. And probably more than that, they're the thing that leads us to our demise. Um, A number of years ago, I went to uh, Papua New Guinea on a holiday. And we went to the north part of that island where there's this village that's built at the base of a volcano. And this volcano will erupt kind of every 15 years or so. So every 15 years, this volcano erupts and destroys the village and then they rebuild the village, and the same thing happens again. The volcano erupts and it destroys the village, and they rebuild the village again, and they keep going through this cycle. So when I was there, yeah, I was learning a bit of the history of this village, and I was kind of thinking to myself, well, why don't they just move? Or they have to they keep getting the village destroyed, and they keep rebuilding it. So in the end, I, I asked someone there, that, you know, someone that lives there, I asked them that question, why don't you just move? And they kind of said, well, you know, this is our home. This is where we live, which is true. But you know, it's just some land. It's just a piece of land, and it's you know, destroying you living there. Um. You know, so it seems like a silly thing to do to keep living in this physical piece of land. But we all have, you know, an emotional home, and we all have a thought home, and these are places that we seem to not be able to move from, no matter what. You know, and often they're. They're more real and more impacting than our actual physical homes. We want to live in these places and, and not move from them. You know, I was kind of thinking, are you so, are we so at comfort in our home of, of anger, of resentment, of unforgiveness, of, of jealousy, of, of needing to be prepared, of knowing what's next, that it's not only keeping us from our destiny, but it's actually putting us in a place where it starts to destroy us because we just won't move on from it. If you've got your bibles there we're just going to finish up with um a last verse from um philippians philippians chapter 2 so philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says and so this is speaking um about jesus paul speaking about jesus says though he was in the form of god he did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a servant And being born in human likeness so if jesus as the son of god could empty himself then surely we're not above that as well yeah the greek word that they use there for for empty himself is kenosis which basically means self-emptying so it's a it's a voluntary act it's something that's done voluntarily that's done even joyfully because we're emptying ourselves to be filled yeah jesus emptied himself Despite the fact that it was painful despite the fact that it cost everything because he was guaranteed He knew that he was going to be filled with something that was going to take him to where he needs to be When I got my first car a friend of mine Convinced me it'd be a good idea if we put a new stereo in it. So that's fine We can just take it to the the shop and they can put it in. He thought no my, uh, my uncle has this garage I was imagining a proper garage. It was literally in his garage. said, if we take it to this garage and we'll put the stereo in ourselves. So surprisingly, that actually that part actually went well. We put the stereo in, it was working. And then he said, well, while we're here, why don't we do like a proper service on it? We can do that ourselves. We hadn't done one before, but he was confident we could do one ourselves. So we kind of, you know, drained the oil, did that kind of stuff. Um, you know, put oil on yourself so you at least look like you've been doing something. And then, his uncle had this um, jerry can, which was what we assumed was petrol for the car, so we would top it up with petrol, so put it in. Thought, alright, this seems to all be going okay. Get in the car to drive home, part way down the road it starts you know, spluttering, starts cutting out, there's all the black smoke coming out of the back of the exhaust. You probably guess what happened, we put, you know, the jerry can was full of diesel, put it in the, the unleaded engine. But I was kind of thinking, well, you know, the car's still moving, we can, we can get somewhere. Um, but obviously what we needed to do was to drain that diesel out of the engine before we can put the right stuff in. You know, but, you know, the car had no power without the right, without the right petrol in there, but we needed to drain the, the diesel out first. You know, but I was resisting doing that because the car was still moving. I reckon I could get home first. That was a bad decision. You know, we know that the first step there is you need to drain the engine of what's not meant to be in there. It's a necessary first step, but often we resist doing that with ourselves. Our first step needs to be emptying ourselves so we can be filled with the right stuff. But often we, we don't want to wait long enough for that to actually happen. We get too agitated, you know, we get impatient, we start comparing ourselves with others, thinking you yeah, well, they've got this stuff. They're this pace on the journey. We should be doing that as well. You know, it's the fear of missing out that means we can't sit still long enough to empty ourselves. You know, at university, I wrote my thesis on something called fluvial geomorphology, which basically means how dirt travels in rivers. Um, that's the kind of... But its claim to fame is that you know, Albert Einstein, a lot of his first formulas and stuff was working through fluvial geomorphology, about how sediment moves in river systems. But one of the things I learned from all these years studying rivers was that water always flows to empty areas and to low areas. So the bodies of water that have the most strength are the areas that have been emptied and are lowest. You know, they've been emptied out and lo- low lying so they can be filled. And the truth is that when we empty ourselves, God is constantly there, waiting to outpour Himself and to fill us up. Yeah, you know, we see it happen in the Trinity too. You think about how the Trinity works. Yeah, you know, the Father and the Son and the Spirit can trust each other. That that's how the nature of reality works. That the Father empties Himself into the Son, and the Son receives that and empties himself into the Spirit, and the Spirit receives that and empties himself into the Father, and the cycle goes on. It's like, it's like a divine water cycle. Yeah, because it's no good telling someone to empty, empty themselves if they can't trust that they're going to be filled again. But the Trinity gives us that assurance, gives us a picture of we need to constantly be emptying ourselves of what's not our true self, to being being filled with what is our true self, to being filled with the Spirit of God, to be filled with something that's much more valuable, more powerful, more real than what we often spend our lives filling ourselves with. So this morning, church, I just want to spend some time in prayer for you. I I just want to ask you, where are you this morning? Do you need to be emptied? Are you so full of things that are not of God, that are not the Spirit of God, that are not your true self, that you need to be emptied? Or do you feel emptied? Do you feel empty and you're waiting for something to fill you? We're going to pray for both of those. Both parts of the process are imperative. We need to empty ourselves. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pray. So, Father, this morning, we know that death always leads to new life. And we know that in the kingdom of God, death's essential for new life. Father, we know that, that your word says that humility, poverty, your meekness in spirit, those things lead us into the kingdom of God. Yeah, so we ask for those things in our lives. Yeah, We don't want to be so proud to resist the, things that you, the, the, the journey that you want us on. But Lord, we also know that whilst those things lead us into the kingdom of God, they're not the kingdom of God. And I feel this morning that God yeah, wants to humble us, wants to humble you, church, but wants to humble you to give you grace. and wants to humble you to lift you up. and wants to humble you to exalt you. I just release that over you this morning. Lord, just empty us this morning and come and fill us afresh with your Spirit. Father, this morning, we just want to say that we're willing to empty ourselves to leave behind our familiar comforts to take nothing on our journey except you except your holy spirit father we empty ourselves right now and invite you to completely fill us in you fill all those places of us that we don't even realize need filling or those places that we're so familiar with that just keep us from you and keep us from what you want for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for
0: joining Life City Church and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.